0: Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today we are going to be talking about Universal Basic Income, or UBI. And if you didn't see the video that we put out a few weeks ago, or was it months, actually... It's all a blur. If you haven't seen our minimum wage video yet, then I recommend you check it out since in that video, we also cover some of the same topics like obviously minimum wage, workforce supply and demand, and automation that also relate to UBI. But anyway, to get right into things, according to the Oxford Research Encyclopedia, universal basic income, also called basic income, is defined as, quote, a periodic cash payment unconditionally delivered to all on an individual basis without means test or work requirements. UBI is very different from from pretty much almost every welfare system that's currently in existence, and actually advocates of UBI say that UBI should be replacing welfare systems, not working in conjunction with them. While traditionally welfare benefits only apply to people who are either unemployed or who make less than a certain income, and are often also conditional on things like passing drug tests or being actively looking for a job, UBI, on the other hand, would apply to everybody. Working, non-working, rich, poor, it Doesn't matter. One of the ways it's said that UBI is actually an improvement over welfare is that because welfare benefits are often taken away once people meet certain income requirements, it's sometimes said that welfare actually disincentivizes people to work. If working more means you get less welfare, well, then realistically, there is an opportunity cost to consider there. With UBI, on the other hand, because everyone gets it no matter how much or how little they work, any extra money made is money gained. Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang is currently one of the most popular and the most vocal proponents of a UBI, and if he's elected president, Yang is promising to implement something called a freedom dividend. According to his campaign website, quote, Andrew would implement a universal basic income, the freedom dividend, of $1,000 per month or $12,000 a year for every American adult over the age of 18. This is independent of one's work status or any other factor. This would enable all Americans to pay their bills, educate themselves, start businesses, be more creative, stay healthy, relocate for work, spend time with their children, take care of loved ones, and have a real stake in the future. Although Andrew Yang is one of the loudest supporters for UBI, he is far from the only one. Other people like Sam Harris, Charles Murray, Elon Musk, and Joe Rogan have also voiced support for the concept. Even among those who are in favor of UBI, though, there is still a lot of debate over what exactly it should look like. Andrew Yang, for example, has proposed $1,000 a month, but a lot of people who are in support of UBI say that that's not enough. Some say that UBI should be enough to let everyone live above the poverty line, while others say that UBI should be granting at least middle-class lifestyles to everybody. There's no consensus over how much UBI should be, and there's also a lot of debate over what it should or should not replace. Most advocates agree that UBI should replace welfare programs, but what about things like Social Security? And what about things like... Medicare or Medicaid? Should UBI work in conjunction with a single-payer system, or should it replace one? Those types of questions are still very much up in the air, but ultimately I feel like support for UBI usually boils down to three things. Number one, the desire for a more equitable society. A lot of people who support UBI believe that it is immoral for there to be poverty and hunger in a society while there are simultaneously millionaires and billionaires in that exact same society. UBI would therefore function as a large large-scale method of wealth redistribution, ensuring that there is a minimum standard of living that everyone is able to meet, regardless of, well pretty much anything. Doesn't matter whether you're working, what your skills are, what your motivation is, you are guaranteed at least this minimum standard of living. And another reason why I often see people advocating for UBI is that it would be a much less bureaucratic system than current welfare programs. A really huge problem with the current welfare system that I think people across the political spectrum can agree to is that it is rife with bureaucracy, waste, and abuse. It's true, welfare as it stands is just a bucket of inefficiency, and whether you're in favor conceptually of wealth redistribution or not, at the very least, UBI blanket payments to every citizen over the age of 18. That would simplify things. And third, and even though I'm not in favor of UBI, I do think this is the most compelling reason why someone would be, and that's to deal with AI and automation. For centuries, actually. Because of automation, machines have been replacing low-skilled workers. That's nothing new, and historically speaking, automation as a phenomenon has not resulted in net job losses to the market. For example, for every bank teller whose job was replaced by an ATM, new jobs have opened up in the exciting fields of ATM installation and repair and general maintenance. But what makes current automation different than historical automation is that because of AI, artificial intelligence, more and more jobs and more and more complex jobs are being automated away. Because of technological advances, drivers, teachers, and even lawyers and accountants may be replaced by machines in the not-too-distant future. A lot of people believe that as entire industries basically lose their jobs to automation, they're going to need some way to survive, which is where UBI would come in. Now, we're going to return to the whole issue of AI in just a few minutes because, like I said, I think it is one of the most compelling and interesting and tricky parts of the UBI conversation, but for now, let's bring up some of the downsides people have highlighted in regard to UBI. Number one, of course, is the cost. A lot of people, when they're talking about UBI, like to refer to it as free money. But as we all know, unfortunately, in this world, there is no such thing as free. UBI wouldn't be free money, it would be taxpayer-funded money. Any UBI plan, at least as they're currently being discussed, would be extremely expensive. For example, let's take a look at Yang's plan, which would guarantee people $12,000 Year. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, as of July 1st, 2018, there are 327,167,434 people in the United States. About 77.4% of those people are over the age of 18, totaling a little over 253.2 million individuals. To give each of those people a $12,000 check annually would cost over $3 trillion every single year. Obviously, those numbers aren't perfect since Yang's UBI would only apply to American citizens, but the U.S. census data doesn't include citizenship information, which is its own debate. But regardless, this would be an expensive endeavor, especially considering the fact that Yang's policy at just $1,000 per month is one of the more conservative, less costly UBI proposals out there. In response to concerns over the high costs of these programs, a lot of UBI advocates will say and <laughs> yes, they're not cheap, but more money in more people's hands means that they'll be spending more, which will grow the economy and in turn lead to more tax revenue. So really, it's not as expensive as you think, which incidentally actually brings us to another downside of UBI, and that's unintended economic consequences. When you think about it, at its core, economics is really the study of resource scarcity. In microeconomics, we study how we as individuals or companies can best allocate our limited incomes or budgets. And in macroeconomics, we study the allocation of limited national resources like labor or property. The thing about economics, and really just capitalism in general, is that whether you like it or not, and whether you think it should be this way or not, scarcity exists, and I think that's something that proponents of UBI generally fail to take into consideration. A $1,000, for example, in most parts of the country is enough to, if not rent your own apartment, then at least rent your own apartment with a roommate. I think a lot of people are under the assumption that if everyone had a thousand extra dollars, then everyone would be able to both find and afford an apartment, which is very much not the case. Giving everyone a thousand extra dollars doesn't solve the problem that apartments are a scarce and finite resource especially in densely populated urban areas like New York or LA. If I live in a city and I don't have an apartment and then all of a sudden my freedom dividend comes in and I find myself with a thousand dollars I'm not going to just be able to walk out and find an apartment for a thousand dollars because guess what? Now Everyone has a thousand extra dollars and landlords know that because people have more money in their hands than they did before There's going to be more competition for apartments And so prices rents will increase as we learned from the supply and demand graphs in our minimum wage video as demand for a product Increases so does the price and if everyone has a thousand more dollars to spend every month Then it is completely natural to expect that prices will increase as a result of that now This is not to say that prices will increase to such a point where the $1,000 extra per month will be useless to people or that everything will cost $1,000 more. This is not inflation that we're talking about here. Inflation refers to higher prices that usually result from the money supply being increased. But because UBI would be using money that's already in supply, not creating new money, It's not really the same thing. But with that being said, it would still be wrong to assume that the purchasing power of $1,000 now would be the same as the purchasing power of $1,000 in a world where everyone got $1,000 per month. And I know what some of you are thinking right now, which is that All of this talk about the benefits or downsides of UBI sounds very hypothetical or theoretical. Isn't there any concrete proof or real-world evidence we can look to to say, yep, this is what UBI would actually do? Well, the answer to that is yes, but also no. As far as I can tell, there has never been a program implemented like the one Andrew Yang is advocating for, where everyone in a country gets a monthly stipend from the government, regardless of how much or how little they're working. That's never been tried. And because it's just never been done, I feel like it's really hard to make definitive, quantitative statements about what UBI's effect on prices would be, because we just don't know. I mean, based on theory, we can still make predictions, but that's all they would be. Predictions. There have, however, been several trials done that have experimented with almost welfare payments without any strings attached, if that makes sense. A pretty different beast than UBI as we've been discussing it, but these trials may be helpful in gaining insight into how UBI might affect people's willingness to work, which is another complaint that people have levied against UBI, which is that if people can survive, and perhaps even survive comfortably, without working, then what would the incentive to work be? Well, as Vijay Manon writes in his article, universal basic income has been tried before, it didn't work. Quote, the The Best available evidence about the potential effects of UBI programs comes from the federal government's negative income tax experiment. The experiment, which ran from 1968 to 1980, consisted of four random controlled trials across six states designed to test the negative income tax. Similar to the universal basic income, a negative income tax guarantees a minimum income, which phases out as earnings increase. Evaluations of the experiment found that the negative income tax reduced desired hours of work by 9% for husbands by 20% percent for wives and by 25 percent for single female heads of families. For single males who were not heads of households throughout the experiment, the reduction in hours worked per week was a staggering 43 percent. If recipients lost their jobs during the experiment, they experienced significantly longer spells of unemployment compared with non-recipients, more than two months longer for husbands, almost a year longer for wives, and longer still for single mothers. For every $1,000 in additional benefits, there was an average reduction of six $660 in earned income, meaning that $3,000 in government benefits were required to increase net income by $1,000. These studies also made clear that it was the receipt of unconditional aid, not the phase-out of benefits, which led to the reduced work effort. The negative income tax experiment was definitely one of the longest and most thorough trials, but it definitely hasn't been the only one which has proven that unconditional aid doesn't really motivate people to work. As Global News reports, the Ontario government recently canceled a basic income pilot project in Canada because, according to the social services minister, quote, the program didn't help people become independent contributors to the economy. It really is a disincentive to get people back on track, she said. When you're encouraging people to accept money without strings attached, it really doesn't send the message that I think our ministry and our government wants to send, We want to get people back on track and be productive members of society where that's possible. And according to the BBC, a similar basic income trial in Finland left people happier but jobless. As the article reports, quote, while some individuals in the experiment found work, they were no more likely to do so than a control group of people who weren't given the money. This is where the conversation surrounding UBI gets kind of complicated. If you're someone who supports UBI because you think it would be more efficient and less bureaucratic than the current welfare system, then hate to break it to you, but this ain't it. The reason why most welfare requirements exist is to incentivize people to get back to work, to ensure that even though they may not get a job right away, they're at least looking for one. In terms of bureaucracy, yes, UBI would be a simpler plan, but simpler doesn't necessarily equate to better from everything i've seen it just doesn't really look like ubi actually encourages people to go out and find work Maybe it can be argued that it doesn't really disincentivize them, but it certainly doesn't incentivize them. And here's where I want to bring AI and automation back into the conversation, because even if UBI doesn't encourage people to find work, if people are unemployed because they've been automated out of productivity, then it doesn't really matter if they're trying to find work or not, right? Because, I mean, they're going to be jobless regardless, so they might as well not be starving. Right Now, aside from the moral implications of wealth redistribution, of demanding, mandating that some citizens pay for the existence of other citizens, which I'm not really going to get into in this video because I feel like a lot of other people are already talking about that, whereas here I would rather focus on some of the less talked about issues surrounding UBI. I do believe that people who advocate for UBI based on fears surrounding AI and automation are addressing a real threat and problem that's looming for society but I feel like their solution UBI is short-sighted AI and automation are coming for low-skilled jobs that's just a fact and sure these advancements may mean that there are more jobs created in industries like tech but it's just not reasonable or possible to expect everybody who's currently working a minimum wage job to be able to turn around and become a software engineer That's just not how that works. Differences in athletic abilities exist in humans. Obviously, I was never going to become a pro wrestler or pro weightlifter. And likewise, even though we don't like to talk about it, it is also a fact that differences in intellectual abilities also exist in humans. The study of human intelligence is actually very thorough and very mainstream. It's not pseudoscience. It has nothing to do with race outside of like 4chan, so don't even go there. But here's Dr. Jordan Peterson discussing the reality of human IQ.
1: Well, after 100 years essentially of of statistic careful statistical analysis, The armed forces concluded that if you had an IQ of 83 or less there wasn't anything you could possibly be trained to do in the military at any level of the organization that wasn't positively counterproductive. Okay, you think, well, so what, 83? Okay, yeah, 1 in ten. One in 10. That's 1 in 10 people. And that, what that really means, that as far as I can tell, is if you imagine that the military is approximately as complex as the broader society, yes. which I think is a reasonable yes. proposition, <clears throat> then there's no place in our cognitively complex society for 1 in 10 people. So what are we gonna do about that? The answer is, no one knows. You say, well, shovel money down the hierarchy. It's like, the problem isn't lack of money. I mean, sometimes that's the problem, but the problem is rarely absolute poverty, it's rarely that. It is sometimes, but rarely. It's not that easy to move money down the hierarchy. It's a vicious problem, man. And so it's hard to train people to become creative, adaptive problem solvers. It's impossible. You can't do it.
0: So if currently people with IQs below 85 aren't able to be productive in society, then what's going to happen in 10 or 20 years when AI has automated every single job that a person with a 90 or even 95 IQ is capable of performing? The people who advocate for UBI because of automation are right to be concerned because entire classes, entire industries of unemployed people is objectively bad for your country. Massive and prolonged unemployment leads to things like political instability and crime. When people get desperate, they tend to get violent. So I understand that when considering the prospect of large groups of unemployed and unproductive and desperate people, that UBI might be a better alternative to things like, I don't know, riots and maybe even a coup. But the saying idle hands are the devil's playthings exists for a reason even if their basic needs are provided for if people don't have jobs if they're not productive if they don't have purpose society will crumble. Best case scenario in this situation is that UBI simply delays civil unrest. It won't get rid of it if entire portions of your population are doing nothing but sitting around and twiddling their thumbs. UBI would be nothing but a temporary band-aid on the problem of humans becoming obsolete. And even if civil unrest doesn't occur with massive unemployment, then there's still the issue of sustainability. What happens when more and more people lose their jobs because of automation? What happens if we get to a point in society where there are as many people not working as working? And keep in mind that IQ and intelligence is mostly, but not entirely, genetic, and that low IQ people tend to have more kids than high IQ people. What happens when the class who is unable to work gets bigger and bigger, all the while the class who is able to work gets smaller and smaller? Maybe I'm just being crazy and hyperbolic and overly pessimistic, but... This is where things are heading, and implementing UBI won't save us. Don't get me wrong, there are things we could be doing to save ourselves, but they've proven too unpopular to talk about. Things like not letting in low-skilled immigrants when our own low-skilled citizens can't even find jobs, and the idea that, hey, if you can't take care of yourself, then maybe you shouldn't be having kids. And conversely, hey, if you can take care of yourself, if you're smart, you're productive, then society is going to need you to have kids. Anyway, there is so, so much more that could be said about this topic, but as always, I would love to know what you guys think. Do you guys support UBI? Why or why not? And how should we handle AI coming into the workforce? Let me know, but that's it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.